This morning I want to address a question. What is a saint? It can be summed up by a popular story about a little kid in church. The kid goes to church on All Saints. When the sermon comes around, the kid is drawn in by the beauty of the stained glass around him. Lovely, colorful glass depictions of saints. He is so taken by it that he begins to daydream. And the next thing you know, the sermon is over and the kid can't remember a thing that the preacher said. Now, I know that that never happens around here, right? Normally, that would be no big deal to your average kid. But there's a slight problem. Like many good Christian families, the ride home or to lunch, just depending on what you do after church, involved a discussion of the sermon for the day. And sure enough, mom turns to little Johnny and says, what did you learn in today's sermon? He begins to panic. He can't remember a single thing about the sermon. The images of the stained glass windows of the saints flood his mind, their beauty, their artistic detail. And finally, in a moment of clarity, he blurts out, a saint is someone whom the light shines through. And you know what? The kid's right. The light of Jesus Christ really does shine into the world through the saints of God. A true saint is someone who loves Jesus so deeply with all their heart that they are willing to follow God's commandments and his will for their lives, even when it puts them at odds with the culture around them. If you look at the Greek word for saint, it's hagios. That's where we get the term hagiography. It's a basically a biography of a saint. If you look at the Greek word for holy, guess what? It's hagios. If you look at the Greek word for sanctification, it's hagiosmos. All of these words, saint, holy, and sanctify, are just three different versions of practically the same word. Saint is a noun, holy is an adjective, sanctify is a verb. But all of them describe who we are called to be as saints of God. We are called to be holy. We are called to be set apart. We are called to be different than the world around us. We are called to love Jesus so deeply with all our heart that we are willing to follow God's commandments and his will for our lives even when it puts us at odds with the culture around us. That's how we live into sainthood. St. Luke really drives that point home in our gospel lesson for today, the Beatitudes. 
Most people, when they want to look at the Beatitudes, they turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew lists nine Beatitudes. It's definitely a more exhaustive list. Luke, on the other hand, only lists four, but then he follows it up with four woes that are warnings to his listeners. Look at each beatitude a little more closely. The word beatitude comes from the Latin word for blessing. When we think of someone who is blessed, we often think of someone who might have a lot or is happy all the time. But blessing really means something different in the Christian faith. When we are blessed, it means that we are favored and approved by God. For that reason, we can have nothing in this world and still be blessed. God's definition of blessing runs completely contrary to the world's definition, and the Beatitudes show us that. The first one is this. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Matthew better captures this beatitude by saying, Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. People who are poor in spirit have the ability to humbly rely on God for everything, even if they do have money. The poor in spirit understand the Christian stewardship concept that everything we have is a blessing from God and should be used for his purposes. The corresponding woe is woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. My brothers and sisters, this does not mean that if you have money, you are going to hell. Not at all. However, if your riches cause you to feel self-sufficient and that you no longer need to fully rely on God, that's where the spiritual danger lies. You will receive your consolation in this world, but not the next. How to avoid this? Give thanks to God for everything, and with everything, be generous. Second one, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. People who are hungry have an intense desire to be fed, to receive sustenance. For us as Christian disciples, we should have an intense desire to be fed spiritually by Jesus through studying his holy word and receiving his most blessed sacrament. Physically, we can be either hungry or full and still have a longing and desire for God. The corresponding woe is woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. It's very easy to fall into the trap again of thinking that we are self-sufficient. The minute that we lose that hunger for God, the minute we think we have it made, the minute we think we have arrived, we're in big trouble. We must always have 
a hunger for God. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Weeping can mean different things here, and scholars are all over the map as to what Jesus really meant by this. We can weep for our personal sins and the things that we've done. We can weep for the world around us. We can weep because we're being persecuted for our faith. But God promises us something, that one day our weeping will be turned to rejoicing. One of my favorite hymns in our hymnal is called The Church's One Foundation. Listen to what verse 3 says about the church. Though with a scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed, by schism rent asunder, by heresies distressed, yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Corresponding woe is woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Now my brothers and sisters, that does not mean that if we laugh, we are going to hell. Quite the opposite. Laughter is one of the great gifts that God has given us. But this woe is tied in with the others in self-sufficiency. When we laugh at those who are less fortunate or are engaged in behavior that is not pleasing to God, that's where our laughter can get us into trouble. Final beatitude. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Now, I don't know about you guys. But it's this beatitude that makes me the most uncomfortable. It makes me squirm in my seat sometimes. Jesus didn't say, blessed are you if people hate you. He said, blessed are you when people hate you. And if we are truly following Jesus, people are going to hate us. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 1.10. For, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And did you know that there are even people in the church who do this? Not everyone who comes to church is a true believer. There are some who come to church for other reasons than drawing closer to God. Again, just ask St. Paul. He lamented about people who rejected their faith and left the church, only to persecute her later. Bottom line, people are going to hate us. 
But who are we trying to please? God or man? The corresponding woe is woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. I think it is a very natural human desire for us to want to be spoken well of. I want Jesus to speak well of me because I followed him. I want people to speak well of me because I followed Jesus. But heaven help me if I don't follow Jesus to make people of the world speak well of me. Therein lies the danger. The incredibly difficult thing about living into the Beatitudes and thus being a saint is that they are so countercultural, so not in line with what the world thinks. And when we start to live into them, the world thinks that we are certifiably crazy. If you go to someone out on Palm Avenue and say to them, you know what? I'm hungry, I'm poor, I've been weeping all night, and people hate me. How many people out there are going to say, oh, you are just so blessed? And if you don't think that the Beatitudes sound crazy enough to the world, look at where St. Luke goes next. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Luke here turns to the word love. And the word that he uses all throughout this next section is agape. When he says to love your enemies, he is not telling us to feel affection for our enemies. He is telling us that we as Christian disciples are to live sacrificially for all people not just those who can love us or give back. Even sinners can do that. The thing that shocks me sometimes about the world is how quickly people are willing to trade in a lifetime of eternal bliss for a little bit of temporary pleasure in this world. When I was an MBA student at Rollins College, I had a friend named Chris, and to say that this guy had no moral compass was an understatement. One day I caught him doing something in class that he absolutely shouldn't have been doing. And when I called him on it, he acted like it was perfectly normal and that what he was doing was totally not wrong. When I pointed out from the Bible that it was wrong, he let me know in no uncertain terms that he just didn't care. I looked at him and I said to him, Chris, you would trade in your entire eternal salvation over this? His response, yes, I would. I could do nothing for him except to be a good example to him and to pray, and pray hard. But it baffles me how someone could be so hard-hearted and short-sighted. The average life expectancy in the U.S. is just under 80 years old. 
Why would anyone trade their eternity away for a mere 80 years on this earth? Compared to eternity, those 80 years are just a microscopic speck. That's why I love the fact that our New Testament lesson from Revelation is included in the Feast of All Saints. As we who are saints continue to live our lives in this world, it is a great thing to be constantly reminded and always looking forward to what we know lies ahead. For me, it provides comfort and gives me courage. Having something to look forward to always keeps me going. And in Revelation, what we have to look forward is something glorious. The words in Revelation are amazing to me, and yet I know deep down in my heart that they do not even begin to describe what the glory of that heavenly worship service will be like. Our hearts will be full. Our sinful nature will be gone. No pain, no suffering, no hunger, no struggles, no toil, no hate, no politics. Unlimited joy, unlimited love, and eternal life lived in perfect relationship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All we have to do, live for Jesus in the here and now. Love him with all our hearts. Repent of our sins here and now so that our garments can be made white in the blood of the Lamb and love others as Jesus loves us. In closing, I want to leave you with another verse from the church's one foundation. It describes what we do on this earth while we are waiting for the coming of the Lord. It gives us something to look forward to, and it's something that I want to be able to share with each and every one of you on that last great day. Yet he on earth hath union with God the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. O happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them, the meek and lowly, on high may dwell with thee. God bless you all. May he use you with all his saints to shine his light into this world. And may we all one day rejoice in perfect union with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.